Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. I can't go to a priest because I'm not a Catholic. I can't go to a lawyer because I haven't done anything to consult a lawyer about. All I did was kill my kids. One at a time. Killed them all. Hello, Constant Listener. This is Arnie, your Books and Nachos host, back with another short review of a Stephen King short story. This time I'm reviewing The Boogeyman, originally published in the March 1973 issue of Cavalier Magazine, and then collected in the 1978 book Night Shift. Unlike the story I reviewed last week, The Woman in the Room, with The Boogeyman we are back to Stephen King, the horror writer. The Boogeyman tells the story of Lester Billings' first visit to his new psychiatrist, Dr. Harper. Billings was divorced, his marriage to his wife having broken down after the death of their three children. Their son, Denny, died in 1967 at the age of two. Their daughter, Cheryl, died in 1971 at five years old. Then their youngest son, Andy, died in the year of the story, presumably 1972 or 1973. In all three cases, the coroner ruled the death natural. Denny was declared crib death, or what we now call sudden infant death syndrome. Cheryl was diagnosed as having a seizure and choking on her own tongue and Andy died of a broken neck, presumably while trying to climb out of his crib unsupervised. But, per Billing's story to Dr. Harper, all three deaths were murder, done by the Boogeyman, a clawed monster who lives in the children's closets. Try as they might, the Billings could not escape the Boogeyman. Even moving to a new house only kept the beast away for a short time. Is Billings insane? Did Billings kill the children? Billings readily admitted to smacking around his wife and children if they felt they needed correcting, and Billings said that the kids drive you crazy to the point you could kill them. Was Billings the murderer? And if so, does he know he's blaming it on a fictional boogeyman? Or, since this is a Stephen King short story, is the boogeyman all too real? To contextualize this story, it was written before Carrie was published. During this period, King, a father of two, would teach during the day, sometimes work at a laundromat in the evening, and in the moments he could steal, he would sit in the trailer he shared with his wife and children, his typewriter on his lap, writing. Also in the early 70s, the King family had real money troubles, and whenever King could sell a short story to a magazine, it provided his family a small windfall, giving them a bit of financial comfort for a while. I bring this up because I think it's important to look at the timeline of King's writing. While the majority of King fans would have read this in his Night Shift collection, published after The Shining and just before The Stand, the actual writing of this took place many years earlier, when King's craft was just a bit less polished. Certainly, this 13-page short story is not exceptionally ambitious. It is, in almost every way, a short story version of a horror comic. The author himself calls this out when Billings, who is not a man of letters, tells his shrink how the boogeyman reminds him of a story from Tales from the Crypt. Like so many of the stories from King's early writings collected in Night Shift, the Boogeyman could have been culled from the very pages of the old EC comics, with its limited cast of characters, scope, and of course, an ironic twist ending. For a television anthology, this story would feel right at home on an episode of The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or in the 80s, Tales from the Crypt or Monsters. This story is no better, and no worse, than those comic anthology tales of horror. But don't take that as a ding towards the author. I know this story feels so well as I grew up reading those types of comic tales and watching them on TV. 
I enjoy a good isolated scare with an ending that may make you scream or make you laugh at the irony. And there is some irony in the story. After all, the creature is the boogeyman. It's not Cthulhu or Dragonazo. It's not a name that may actually strike fear. It's the boogeyman, a creature of menace only to the exceedingly young. Yet King doesn't wink at the audience and acknowledge the absurdity of the conceit. Instead, King ratchets up the terror through the frantic, possibly insane ramblings of Billings, who's frightened of every closet he sees. So frightened, in fact, that he wishes he would be jailed because, quote, you can see into all of the rooms in a jail, nothing is hidden like in a closet, end quote. And whether or not the boogeyman is real, King leaves little doubt to the core of the fact that Billings' story is true and there are three dead children. And to a parent, that's as scary as anything can be. So if you call it the boogeyman or if you call it Leatherface, the horror is real. And the author makes you visit the terror of being a parent, watching terrified and helpless as your children die. Lester discusses the dead, open eyes of his children. When the first son dies, Lester describes, quote, The kid was dead on his back, just as white as flour, except for where the blood had, had sunk. Back of the legs, the head, the a the buttocks, end quote. It is an uncomfortable truth the morticians keep to themselves how the blood pools at the bottom of a corpse once the heart stops beating, and King makes us face that. As such, by the end of page 13, I'm not guffawing at the idea of a killer boogeyman, and that's a credit to King's writing. As I've stated in previous reviews, King is a man plagued by fears, and he channels those into his stories. King is afraid of the dark. He has been since he was a child. And in The Boogeyman, Lester discusses how if a boy is given a nightlight, he'll never outgrow that fear. Certainly, some of the fear impelled King to write this story. More, the author talks in Night Shifts Forward about how he sleeps with his foot carefully tucked under his blankets so that a cold, slithering hand, which he rationally knows doesn't exist, can't reach out and grab his ankle. That must be the same type of fear Lester felt thinking a boogeyman that could never really exist, but might, killed all three of his children. But by crediting King's writing, I'm referring mostly to the story's feeling of dread and its pacing. At only 13 pages, with three deaths to tell as prologue to Billings visiting his shrink, the story books. That's a good thing, it leaves very little time to notice some of the tale's flaws, and there are quite a few. Some are logistic in nature. For example, the dates of the story don't entirely match up. On the first pages, it's implied, both through prose and dates in the story, that Sheryl was alive when Andy was born. Later in the story, we find out after Sheryl died, there was a period when Billings and his wife had no children, and then Andy restarted their family. Likely, these are things that changed during a rewrite, but the inconsistency sticks out in such a short story. The other limitation is one of character. There's really only one in this story, and that's Lester Billings. His wife Rita, his three children, there's not much to them. We hear about them only in retrospect, through Lester's point of view, and Lester isn't the type of person who's very complimentary to man, woman, or child. And the doctor, Harper, is also not a character in this story. He is intentionally a blank slate for Lester to speak to. When Harper pipes up from time to time, lest the reader forget he's there, we know nothing of him. He smokes a pipe, he listens well, but we never even get enough insight into Harper's character to know if he thinks Lester is insane. No, this is Lester's story, and Lester is an ugly person. As mentioned, he was casually abusive to his wife and kids. 
He comes by his nastiness naturally. He had a nasty mother who refused to attend her son's wedding as Rita was already pregnant. Lester is racist. He uses slurs to refer to both blacks and Vietnamese people. He's sexist. He's mostly uneducated, making his living as a blue-collar laborer. Worst? Lester is either a murderer or a coward. If he killed the children himself, then he's an insane child killer. If he didn't, if his story's completely true, then he offered up his youngest son, his favorite child, to the boogeyman to save his own ass, knowing that the boogeyman would go for Andy and leave Lester alone that night. No, there are no winners in this story. In many ways, I see connections between Lester and two other homicidal male king characters. Like Jack Torrance, Lester is an abusive father and husband, and his children are dying, perhaps at the hand of a supernatural force. If you've listened to my review of The Shining, you know that that book was based very much on King's own frustrations as a father of two young children, a man unprepared for fatherhood, not having a father himself when he was growing up. He'd stated in interviews that he would have violent thoughts about his children, and he channeled those fears into The Shining. And I think with The Boogeyman, King channeled some of those fears as well, because here, again, Billings talks about how children are so frustrating that you could kill them. It leads me to believe that Billings might have been the killer himself. And again, King channeling that fear into his writing. But Jack Torrance is a much more developed and deep character, not just because he has several hundred pages to be developed instead of just over ten, but also because King created a deep character because King was a better, more experienced writer when he was doing The Shining than when he did The Boogeyman. The other character that Billings reminds me of, although it's a far more tenuous connection, is Charlie Decker from Richard Bachman's Rage. Like Decker, Lester gets stomach cramps when nervous, nerves he ties back to his overprotective mother. But in a short story such as this, published in a men's magazine in pages that are often flipped past quickly as the reader moves from one to the next pictorial of naked women, the key to a story's success is its ending, the final reveal, a one-sentence climax. And as I keep these reviews as spoiler-free as possible, I'm not going to tell you what the ending is. If you want to know, constant listener, you have to read the book. But I'll tell you the ending is as unexpected as it is unearned. It's not just ironic, it's a tad ridiculous. I'll reiterate that it's on par with the horror stories in old EC comics or Marvel's own anthology comics from the 50s and early 60s, but I state that full well realizing that the endings on those stories were often nonsensical. It's a start, it's a twist, but it wasn't built up in any way. Reading the first 12 pages, and I have twice, provide nothing that can prepare you for what happens on page 13. King has repeatedly stated in interviews that he has trouble with endings for his stories. It feels like that's the case here. King knew he wanted a twist ending, but wasn't sure how to deliver one that was unexpected. Well, this one was unexpected and unsatisfying. But hey, it's a 13-page story about the boogeyman, so I'm not going to be too hard on it. If you enjoy the type of horror tales I've compared it to, then I think you'll also enjoy this one. I did like the story, just not the ending. Coincidentally, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out an odd coincidence. In 1978, horror fans would be treated to another story where a boogeyman would start as comical and end as seemingly all too real, John Carpenter's Halloween, which starts with a silly playground taunt of the boogeyman's gonna get ya, and ends with Laurie Strode emotionally wrecked, crying, was that the boogeyman? Suffice it to say, I think John Carpenter's take of a human killer being mistaken by a potential victim as a demon from beyond 
is a bit more satisfying than the ending King gives this short story. While I'm discussing other King ties, The Boogeyman is almost a mirror image of another Night Shift story, I Am The Doorway. The Boogeyman starts with Billings saying he killed his children, but then putting the blame on another monster. I Am The Doorway starts with another character, Arthur, telling of a murder, but while he admits his hands did the killing, he refuses to take the blame for the death. As he puts it, he was just the doorway for that murder. I'll be getting to I Am The Doorway in a few weeks for my full review, but I'll say that story, written two years before The Boogeyman, is far better in how it handles this same scenario. With I Am The Doorway, King leaves a lot of ambiguity in if Arthur is the doorway or if Arthur is the killer. With The Boogeyman, I see nowhere that the same question is raised. Written in third person, nothing in The Boogeyman suggests an unreliable narrator or strong third person perspective. When this story ends, we're forced by King's writing to take its unsatisfying ending at face value, so to speak. And I also want to point out that this story does foretell another King story, but one he would write for the screen, not the page. When Billings is talking about that Tales from the Crypt comic, he's discussing the plot where a man was drowned by his wife, but he comes back for revenge as a bloated, fish-eaten corpse. Not to spoil it, but that sounds suspiciously like something to tide you over, the third story in the Stephen King-George Romero horror anthology film Creepshow. And, I must also say, this story shares the sensibility of that Romero film, all of which are stories inspired by the horror comics of the 50s. And speaking of King films, The Boogeyman has never been professionally adapted for the screen, but there is the audiobook edition read by John Glover, and it has been sold many times as a Dollar Baby film. King giving student filmmakers the rights to adapt his works for the sum of one dollar. But the 1982 student film of The Boogeyman, directed by Jeff C. Shiro, is one of the few dollar babies to see wide release, put out on VHS alongside Frank Darabont's The Woman in the Room on a VHS collection entitled Stephen King's Night Shift Collection. Jacob Stewart and I will be reviewing that short film, as well as two other dollar babies, over at our sister podcast, NowPlayingPodcast.com when we reviewed the Night Shift Collection VHS series. And over there, we're also going to be reviewing Stephen King's other anthology film, Cat's Eye. And tying into that, I'll be back here at booksandnachos.com next week, reviewing Stephen King's Quitters Incorporated, another Night Shift story which was adapted for that movie. I'll talk to you then, and until next week, please remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.